0: Welcome to the Defending Freedom Podcast. My name is Kenya Alou. I'm a mother, wife, and freedom-loving American. If you believe America is worth fighting for, you've arrived at the right place. I believe America's best years are ahead of us, and that's why this podcast was built for you. Welcome to the Defending Freedom Podcast. My name is Kenya Alou, your host, and I have two very special guests with me today, both running for Texas House Not Against Each Other in different districts. And I'm a huge supporter of both of these amazing men. We have Nate Shastline running in House District 93, which is my district. And we have Jeff Younger running in Texas House 63. Their platforms are very much aligned. And I imagine the future of Texas, when we get more people like them in office, we can actually get things done like the legislative priorities of the Republican Party. Um, I wanna thank you guys for being here. I'm going to start with Jeff. I I do want to say real quick that I've been following your story with your son from the beginning and it has weighed heavily on my heart. I've shed tears for it. Um, It is just horrible. And I know that that is one of your um, priorities, one of your missions and why you're running for office is to protect children when it comes to the, you know, transitioning, the child abuse of these kids that have no idea what they're really doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a real eye-opener for me. I thought it was the most uh, morally obvious bill to ever appear before the Texas legislature. I mean, I think it's more even more, more obvious than when we outlawed slavery. I mean, at least slavery had a historical precedent, a long historical precedent. We don't even have that for this. This just appeared in 2015 out of nowhere. The psychologists and the courts just imposed all this on us. And the legislature just could not find a way to act. And what it exposed was a huge rift between the donor class of the Republican Party, um, you know, it may surprise people, but the transgender movement in the United States is funded by Republicans, not by Democrats. And they are the largest donors to the Republican Party. Guys like Peter Singer, who founded the human rights campaign, James Pritzker who uh, now calls himself Jennifer Pritzker. He's an extraordinarily ugly man in a dress. He, <laughs> Singer funds the human rights campaign which is the most powerful transgender lobby group in the world. It's the reason our pride flags are flying at every embassy in the, in the world. And uh, James Pritzker funds the child transgender movement in the United States and he's the third largest donor of the Republican party. So we have this tremendous rift between the donor class in the party and uh, the, the voters. And that's what I really exposed at the legislature and what I intend to go fix.
0: Well, we need someone to fix that because what's happening is it's it's nothing other than demonic and it's an assault on our kids.
1: Right.
0: And it just puts I mean, me away. It's shocking to
1: think that Dave Velen, the Speaker of the Texas House, Republican Speaker of the Texas House, has a 100% approval rating from the human rights campaign, the largest transgender group in America. Wow. Think about that. That's horrible. Republican. People
0: don't know that, but that's why yeah. we're here, to expose it. Um, now, you are both in runoffs uh, against other candidates for the Republican nomination for your seats. And then in November, you run against the Democrat. Um, I have a vested interest in getting both of you in because I am sick of I'm sick of, we go, you know, we go to the state convention and we put forth our platforms and then we don't get, we get a little bit, they throw us bones, they throw us bones, but we don't get what we're putting in there. I mean, I just wrote a resolution and I'm going to the convention in uh, June and I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're going to go and we're going to put this, but how are we going to really get it into law? Right. So that's a, that's a big, big deal. Um, Nate, talk to me about, uh, you know, you're also very passionate about kids as is Jeff. Jeff has a personal, um, you know, vested interest in this because he's had to experience it. And sadly, that's how change usually comes about is somebody has to experience something absolutely horrific and it takes the right person who it happens to for them to then go do something about it and so Jeff I commend you appreciate so much you taking on this this thing you fought hard for your son I know you have um
1: continuing to fight for him
0: and you continue to fight for him and it's just three
1: million dollars to keep him from being chemically castrated in Dallas County and I'm dropping another quarter of a mil this year just to get back to where I can see him again Wow. You know, I mean, this is what it takes to be a father these days. The reason I'm running for office is I realized in order to protect my son, I had to get a law passed. And these fools down there won't do it. Yeah. And then I started, once I had gone down there and started lobbying for this bill, everybody started pulling me in to write legislation. You know, I helped Biederman, I helped Cason, because, you know, th- there's there's just not a lot of people who are willing to take the risk and, and go out there. Because, you know, Antifa comes after you, the left comes after you, everybody's not willing to do that. So it's just like there were a bunch of other issues that I realized were intertwined in this education, um, how, how we fund schools is all intertwined in this, believe it or not. Like it's all actually just one big issue, but you bring up something that I say a lot to people and I think we need to start selecting candidates differently. Who has been harmed by government should be in government. You're exactly right. I'm because shy. people who've been harmed by government have skin in the game, they're not going to back down, and they know more surely than anyone else why government should be limited. But the problem is, these establishment candidates will say you're a one issue candidate, right? Because you've got because something prompted you to run for office. Well, it's better than being a no issue candidate that's just looking for power and money. Yeah, absolutely. great. It's great.
0: That's how most of them are right now. I mean, not right. most, but well, yeah, because nothing gets done. Um, yeah. Just let's so that we can because I know if I'm asking this question, I know my audience is too. What is the status with James right now? And um, when I spoke with you last, you told me that they would not allow you to see him unless you affirmed him as a girl.
1: That's right. Um, So the way it happened was this. I haven't seen him since the 31st of July last year. I write him letters and uh, I'm building a I'm building a video game for him to help practice his spelling. And he's going to have his own pictures and a little ga- gamify some of his education, but that's all I got. I, I don't even have electronic communication. And here's what prompted it. I want you to think about this for a second. So they put me under a gag order, which was clearly designed to prevent me from running for political office. So mm-hmm. my gag order does not prohibit me from talking about my case. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Wow. That's the whole purpose of these family court gag orders. No, my gag order permanently bans me from all newspaper interviews. Lifetime, all radio interviews, all podcast interviews. I'm not allowed to do podcasts myself. I'm not allowed to write a blog post. Now I can't even write a blog post according to this or, or yeah. I can't wow. make any social media posts and I'm banned from several political topics that it mentions. I'm not allowed to talk about transgender issues. I'm not allowed to talk about issues around gender expansiveness. I'm not allowed to talk about whether my son's a boy or a girl, and they did that specifically to prevent me from lobbying the legislature, and from and in particular, at the time the gag order was entered, I was an invited witness to the Texas Senate, and it would have prevented me from going to the Texas Senate. So I've told the court, just like I told them on COVID nineteen, I don't follow illegal order and mandates from the from the government anymore. Those days are long past for for conservatives. Mm-hmm. So I've told this judge, I will never follow this order. I I hold the order itself in maximum contempt and I'll never follow it. I hold the judge in contempt for issuing an order that violates the rights of a Texan like this. And I've told her she's obligated to give me the maximum sentence for criminal contempt, put me in the loose jail. I'm going to follow Rita habeas corpus out of that jail library down there. And I'm going to go, we're going to go up to the fifth appeals court here in Texas, fifth district. I'm going to come in handcuffs. She's going to come in her judge's robe and we're going to see who's right. Well, she knew she would lose that because this is a blatantly unconstitutional order. Right. So instead, here's how she reasoned. The illegal gag order was entered in the best interest of Mr. Younger's children. Mr. Younger is not following the illegal gag order. Therefore, Mr. Younger is not acting in the interests of his children and therefore he can't see his children. And that was the basis on which they took my children. This was a blatant attempt by the liberal establishment in dallas county to stop the political activity of an effective conservative and it's failing
0: so you're not only not seeing james you're not able to see jude either
1: no i can't see either one of them wow, wow. they gave me supervised visitation and the psychologist who's supervising this i get less visitation than convicted pedophiles
2: wow Yep.
1: Yeah. it cost me six hundred dollars a visit to see my sons for two hours and they will not let me take my son out of a dress when he shows up. They're forcing me to abuse my son in order to be able to see him. And I'm never going to, the one thing you owe your children is at least not to harm them. Yeah, I'm never abusing my son, never participating in it. And, and that's another big issue that's going to come up actually at, at the legis- next legislative session, because right now under Texas law, I'm obligated by law to pay as medical child support, psychologists which are teaching my son that he's a girl that's wow. abuse, in my opinion there are no exceptions in the texas family code for ch- for child support so um i'm never paying that child support i'm never paying to abuse my son yeah that's a state of jail felony if i don't pay it mm-hmm. so we're gonna have to talk about exceptions in the for the first time in texas history exceptions to child support and how fathers and mothers cannot be forced to pay for the abuse of their children that's just how far the, this liberal establishment, probably in the family code and in the schools, you have seen liberals make the most advances. They are, if you want to see what society, what society they want, look at how family courts work and look at how schools work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, actually a good definition of the leftist utopia of the future that they want to they have in store for us. They want to turn this entire country into a giant college campus.
2: Yeah, 100%. you'll get a
1: food card from them, which will give you three square meals a day. They'll tell you where you need to be for your classes. They'll have approved sports and entertainment that you can have, but it'll be, it'll be proctored by experts that will determine what you can see. They'll have speech codes. I mean, that's basically how it's going to be. Well, all that stuff exists in family court too, right? What they've imposed on me is nothing more or less than a speech code. I hate speech code. Yeah. And they won't let me see my son unless I follow it. That's absolutely horrific. That's what I say. It's all one issue. What we're facing <laughs> is one, big, it's just showing up in a lot of different places.
0: Nate, um, Jeff, I'm sorry that you have been going through this and your, your poor son, I just can't even imagine. Please
1: pray for James and Jude, you know, yeah, yeah, know the brothers of Jesus, it's easy to remember their names. Just yeah. pray for those little boys. We're, we're praying
2: them. for him, Jeff, That uh, that's heartbreaking. I, I came home after we met the other day and I told my wife, I was like, this is a fight that we've got to get involved in. This is absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And its I mean, they're coming for a lot of kids. So when I did discovery uh, in my case, we interviewed the people at the Genesis Clinic in Dallas. There's 2,500 kids uh, in 2019 that were already in the pipeline. 2,500. Wow. The, the, The doctor that we deposed, her name is Johanna Olson Kennedy. I asked her how many pubescent girls she had personally referred out for total mastectomies she stopped for a minute. She said it's over 250. Wow. Pubescent girls. She that's- couldn't remember how many boys that she had castrated, but she said it was more than the girls.
2: Oh Wow.
1: And that's in Texas. That's disgusting.
2: It is disgusting. That's awful.
1: It is. Dallas is not the largest clinic, actually. Houston has a larger clinic and, you know, Austin has a pipeline of plastic surgeries that they got going on. So we, we've got you know, up to 10,000 children that might be at risk
2: here. Wow. He well, was, I mean, uh, Kenya, Kenya, that kind of pipes into really what I want to do. Would you, would you mind if I kind of shared?
0: Yeah, please. I was going to say it's a great segue for what. Yeah. You,
2: you know, yes. I listen to Jeff is just, it's mind blowing. Like it's because it, it's a real story. Like, I think that's what, I think that's so, so intentionally What we need in the state house as a representative is someone who has actually been affected by this, because the reality is, is typically, you know, us as a state in Texas, we are ran by a bunch of people who have no on the ground experience with the laws that they're writing. They have no concept of how this is affecting families. You know, I was watching uh, a movie last night uh, with uh, sponsored by Patriot Mobile, which was um, whose children are they? And we started a great, great one. Oh, fantastic. And so we we're watching this film. And as I was watching, just to watch the way that teachers unions and PTAs and, and all these other organizations have literally changed our schools into indoctrination camps. You know, this was why I pulled my kids out of the public school system whenever, um, you know, my, my oldest is about to enter into kindergarten some years back. Um, and I called and I said, hey, Um, You know, I've been involved in education in the past uh, at high school level, middle school level, and a college level. And um, I was an economics professor. uh, And I I remember walking in and I remember being in the public education system and knowing uh, the types of things they were teaching high schoolers. And it just hit me. I said, you know, That was years ago. How far has it gone into our elementary system? And I I called up the elementary school just down the road from where we are right now uh, in Keller ISD, and I just said, "Hey, can you tell me about the sexual education you're going to be giving my son?" And I mean, I'm telling you, they couldn't. Number one, they couldn't answer. Number two, after calling back for two, three weeks, Kenny, I think we're zoned for the same school school district here. Um, After calling two, three weeks, finally they get on the phone and almost, almost annoyed with me uh, they just simply oh, yeah. said hey listen man look at the end of the day uh, it's an outside organization that's coming in uh, to teach these classes i don't know what they're teaching and i don't know who to refer you to and i just said all right well we're gonna make the sacrifice we're gonna put our kids in private school and that was the moment you know i've dealt with at-risk kids for the last 10 years Um, I've dealt with kids whose parents couldn't barely afford to put food on the table, uh, whether that be in Cedar Hill, DeSoto, South Oak cliff, and other areas across the country. And so I knew that me and my wife, had worked incredibly hard and been incredibly blessed to be able to put our kids in private school, but I also know that the majority of parents don't have that choice right now. And so the only option we have is to be able to come in and get indoctrination out of schools, make sure that we're holding these teachers accountable, making transparency inside of the the classroom a priority. You know, one of the things that Jeff, and maybe we speak about this even more, is uh, why are we so opposed to putting cameras in classrooms for I parents know. I know. That's
1: the same question. Over, why are I mean, we you know, and again, just to show you, it's the same problem. Why don't we have them in, in courtrooms? Exactly. It's the same problem. Yeah. Why not be in every committee meeting at the legislature? Yeah. Can you imagine how that would change things? It would change things. And it, you know, and, and, and they fight that tooth and nail.
0: It seems so simple because we're putting cameras on police officers.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: what's
0: the difference (laughs)
2: why wouldn't we put a camera on the most vulnerable members of society
1: yep right It, it makes no sense that they would oppose that
2: at all yeah well the cameras are step one the step two that I would love to see get passed in the legislature I know we've previously talked about this is making sure that um we can we can fight for school choice school choice is big I think it's going to be a priority in the legislature um I was talking uh to a few different uh state legislators here recently so, you know some of the people that uh you know the media would call far right uh wing guys but you know and and that's what we've been called I've been called I know Jeff you haven't been as well I own it I just
1: if I'm <laughs> <laughs> Tell the Hum, he'd be a little liberal for me, but I could get along with it. We just go hardcore. And
2: and it's one of those that, you know, the, the media is always going to paint a narrative about anyone that stands up to them. And so we, you know, I was talking with some of these guys and I just said, this has got to be a priority in the legislature as we go into 2023, because if it's not, what's going to happen is we're going to lose the next generation. And here's here's the most shallow end. We're going to lose the next generation of voters. Here's the most serious end. We're going to lose the next generation completely to leftist woke ideologies, and we're never going to get the country back that we once knew. And so it's one of those things that we have to fight for school choice. I'd also love to see legislation pass where all of a sudden our funding for a public education system is directly tied, not to performance of star testing. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm ready to do away with star testing, but actually tied to attendance as well as parent satisfaction. And so, you know, if we can put that power back in the hands of parents, it's going to be it's going to be powerful. Um, it's going to be really strong. And so that's that's one of my big priorities. I know, Kenya, we uh, we're probably going to stick on education a lot here because it seems to be, you know, the area that especially my opponent refuses to talk about. I know we're not supposed to do that, but my opponent really <laughs> refuses to hit on the issue. Um, and and that should that should scare us. That there are people running in the Republican legislature that refuse to touch on issues such as gender modification and refuse to touch on issues such as school choice. That's that should be alarming to us, because if in my opinion, if you're not willing to talk about the hard issues, get out of the way so that someone who can can come in here and actually have the conversations. You know, if you're scared of what media is going to do, don't get into politics, you know, got to have a backbone.
1: Yeah, it's quite amazing. I found uh, even in my own race, um, you know, I, my opponent will not talk about education issues, and it's because, at least in my district, I think it's true in many. The public schools are, um, you know, the largest employer in my district. Wow. Yeah. And um, you know, the schools are looked upon more as a jobs opportunity for adults than an education opportunity for kids, and wow. it's it's completely managed that way, and thought about that way. You know, we've had people denying in my district, for example, that Louisville ISD has, uh, you know, any of this critical race theory stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And then suddenly I get, you know, all these teacher whistleblowers who are contacting me anonymously showing me all this stuff. They it's all over the place. They don't
0: call it critical race theory. So yeah, that's right. They say that they don't have it.
1: Right. This is the, so this is what I learned. So I was very uh, active in outlawing Common Core in this state. Mm, nice. Yeah. So my background is in math education, right? and i've sat on the board of corndeo i developed their math curriculum did textbook selection the whole thing for that and one of the things that 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 you know i find very uh, disturbing and from from my experience with common core is i saw that they could simply repackage rename ideas and just stick them back in the textbooks right
2: yeah. So yeah. you can't
1: really outlaw ideas or ideologies and what i learned from the experience cuz like One of the things we conservatives don't do is we don't learn from our failures, you know,
2: we failed to
1: stop Common Core getting into the curriculum. That was a failure on our part. We passed the law, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because we focused on outlawing the ideology when what we really need to do is get rid of the people that have the ideology.
2: Yeah, it's great.
1: great. That's what we have to do. That's why I think your reforms that you're proposing to uh, tie funding to parent satisfaction would make a big difference. I yep. think the reforms that I'm proposing to democratize the schools where we can have recall elections on school board members and administrators. So not only can that. fire these people. Yeah, you get 51% to vote again for to vote for your referendum, and you can fire the superintendent of your school district. It's brilliant. And you talk about being, if, if the funding and their very job is tied to parent satisfaction you will see a huge change. And it should be, it
0: should be. We're the one paying their salaries.
1: Well, well,
2: one of the things, Kenny, that I wanted to add in there too, is a lot of people think that it's gonna crash the public education system to give school choice to parents. When in reality, how can you be a capitalist and think that could ever be the case. Competition is never a negative thing when it comes to performance. In fact, when you remove competition, we see time and time again that when someone becomes a monopoly, the value and, and the uh, you know the actual structure of something begins to decline immediately because all of a sudden there's no competitive edge. And this is really where the public education system, whether it be, like I said, the teachers unions uh, in Texas, were not considered a, union, a unionized teacher association but then we have teacher associations we have PTAs we have all of these other associations that come in and what happens is when there is absolutely no this is when you remove consequence we can't be upset when they start pushing their agenda and right now there's genuinely zero consequence and this is why we see people like Fort Worth ISD school boards that won't even look you in the eye uh, when you're talking to them this is why you see such disrespect you know I was blown away This is the most shocking thing in the world is when we started storming these school board meetings is the fact that they won't even respond to you and they're hiding behind, you know, rules of bureaucracy. Well, we don't want to respond because at the end of the day, you know, we don't want to upset anyone. Too late. You've got a room (laughs) full of raging parents right now.
0: Respond to us. Have a
2: conversation.
0: They all Great. need to be fired. I can't stand it when they act like you don't even deserve an answer. You don't even oh, deserve.
1: Yeah. And you imagine motivations lie elsewhere, right? So and you bring up a really good point when you talk about monopoly. But one of the other problems that's related to it, you know, the school, schools are, are really um, a kind of a unique economic phenomenon because they're both monopolies on education, but they're also monopsonies. They're the single buyer for education services,
2: wow! So they
1: have the worst of both, and you know, monopsony is just as bad as monopoly as an economic yeah. investor. Yeah. So what happens is you have, and, I've, and i and let me relate this to defense programs because everybody knows about this. The army has, like, the heavy division concept. They've been trying to get rid of it since the 1980s, but the defense contractors have put, you know, huge, you know, uh, factories and things in all the 50 states, and none of the state representatives will ever vote to get rid of it. So we have an army that we cannot deploy. It can't. It takes two years to deploy a division, okay? Yeah. And that's because of these special interests and where this money is going. Similarly with schools, right? Why do you have smart boards in the classroom? You know, you have you have $30,000 smart boards in classrooms. So what was wrong with chalkboards exactly? What was wrong yeah. with projectors? You know, and, and they haven't added anything to it, but who benefits from, from all of that? Well, you go into these districts and what you find is that there are crony companies which are reselling all this technology, and and so it's just another way to wash public money into the private hands. Yeah. Right. This is what the system is about. It has your students are only the pretext for them to wash this private money, this public money into private hands. And so, if we actually just break down where the spending comes from, I think you would find it shocking. That's why I'm asking for forensic audits for school districts every single oh, year yeah. that they need to pay for. Yeah, because that's what that's look. My company has to do that. If my company has to do that, why don't school districts?
2: Yeah, right. one of the things, and I agree with you because one of the arguments that I was there was so much kickback when I brought it up. Uh, I don't remember if it was at a forum I was at or or something, but uh, I oh, it was at a meet and greet. Uh, we it was just okay. a parents in the room, and about that time, I just said, you know, I want to require all educators. To have to give their curriculum a month in advance so that parents can review what their children are going to be learning. And I'm not just talking about, you know, yeah, I'm not just talking about math, science, you know, the basic uh, uh, subjects. I'm actually talking about PE. I'm talking about any type of outside extracurricular football coaches. Hey, yes. let us know what our kids are going to be learning out there. Let us know the yes. drills. Why wouldn't we partner with parents and say, hey, here it is, right? Because that's the other side. But what I got kickback from was, well, that's a lot of work for the educator. I've been an educator. You're telling me, what kind of program do you not know two weeks out what's going to be told in the we curriculum? That was Are a we winging it? You know, long
0: like, long like, long. It's, yeah,
1: it's already done. By the time not only done, But. Um, You know, so I I know this from from buying these programs, uh, you know, at Quorum Deo, you know, the the, when you buy these things, they have a day by day plan, which has everything in it. it has the present, you know, PowerPoint presentation, it has talking points, it has the exercises you put on the whiteboard, it has everything in it. There's absolutely no reason they can't share that. I've been told several times that they can't share it because their contracts and copyright obligations don't let them share, it, right? <laughs> but it's, and they just make this, this is completely made up. So I said, okay, great. Let me see the contract. I'd like a lawyer to review the, the contract terms. Well, it yeah. turns out. Then they said the contract was copyrighted. Can't see the contract. <laughs> oh either. my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How far did it go? to keep you from and and I'm just trying to look at math curricula, which is you would think would be the least objectionable one to look right. at, right? Um, but here's what I found when I did look at it. Listen to this. So I found that they were teaching children that a times b does not equal b times a. So that's hmm. the same thing, which is totally makes false. No sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then four months later they teach them the commutative property which says a times b equals b times a so first they teach them it's not true then they teach them that it is true and then you wonder why kids get confused
2: yeah do you think that's an error on their part or you think that's intentional to groom their minds into thinking not all things are yeah. absolute truth i think it's
1: I think it's that number one i do think that they they are and it's very clear in the math curriculum in capel they're trying to make um, mathematics into a cultural artifact instead of an artifact of stone cold logic wow the second thing though is they're teaching them problem solution algorithms for the Star test and they don't want the kids to get confused by switching the numbers up hmm. so that's when i realized that what the math curriculum actually is is they're teaching kids to memorize algorithms to solve problems on the STAR test rather than reasoning through real world problems.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's never gonna apply to real life.
1: Yeah, never in life. No.
2: that's insane that's well, even the curriculum that I taught from um when I was teaching microeconomics I didn't teach for long to be no. honest I I got out of it I was tired of being in the university
1: system no, but I, I same experience here exactly yeah
2: and so but when when the curriculum I was teaching was so not practical that I was actually taking our curriculum and uh you know I'm dealing with adults at this point you know but I was taking my curriculum and I was rewriting it on my own time so that we could actually apply it to real world economic policy, financial literacy, all the things that we actually needed to teach these students that were coming through who wanted to be business owners, wanted to be entrepreneurs. And it's sad that an economics professor or even especially a high school teacher that does care for their students is going to have to redo that curriculum if they actually want to get real life application inside of it.
1: Sure. Yeah. I have a, a woman that I go to church with who's a school teacher. And that's exactly what she does. Um, she oh. stays a month ahead. She starts in the middle of the summer, and she essentially rewrites the lessons plans. And um, you know, uh, she has very frank discussions. They even pray. Wow. She has very awesome. frank discussions with students about things, Great. about errors that they're seeing, like errors they'll see in 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 parts of the curriculum and she corrects the students but it's a lot of work for her yeah, I mean I this is a knowledgeable teacher who honestly if you just left her to her own devices would teach these children just fine but she has to spend all this administrative time correcting the bad curriculum and that's what these people who say oh it's so much work to tell parents about the curriculum well what about all the good teachers that are having to undo all this stuff Nobody right talks about the work they're doing
2: right you're right you know even I want to get back to even like you were talking about, Jeff, of like, you know, looking into all of these practices they're they're essentially grooming practices for left wing. Uh, Yeah. And so like one of the things that has so bothered me has been this argument. And I see this even especially in Keller ISD. We have a lot of, you know, uh, just left wing people who are saying, hey, you know, the pornographic stuff, that's not an issue. And the reason that they're saying that is they're saying, you know, they've already got smartphones. So why would we care what's in their books? Well, here's the reality is that there's a different type of power, there's a different type of influence when a a person of authority Begins to normalize something in your life. That's right. And it, you know, you can, there's always that level of secrecy. If someone's looking at something on their phone, if they're looking at something they shouldn't be on their home computer, there's a level of secrecy that they had to go to. There's an inherent wrongness to it. But the yep. moment it's normalized by a figure of authority mm-hmm. is the moment that you begin to normalize things that were never meant to be normalized. And so now all of a sudden you have teachers talking about blatant sexual acts that are just horrific, talking about mm-hmm. sodomy, talking about all these things. Yep. When you begin begin to normalize perversion, and this has kind of been our platform, is that it always inevitably leads to deeper levels of perversion. And I, I truly believe we are only years away from the normalization of pedophilia inside the classroom. I, I really believe that. I believe that that is right on the edge of where our schools are heading if we don't take control of this.
0: We already have groups trying to normalize it, and it, it's disgusting. It is it is the grooming, and it is desensitizing And then, like you said, it's a window. So you start off here and then that's not enough anymore. So you up the game, then you up the game and you up the game. And then, like you said, we have normalization of pedophilia. And
1: this is exactly why I own that far right label. You know, I've been asked by libertarians and people on the left all the time, you know, are you trying to like, you know, uh, legislate morality? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I'm trying to restore a previously lost social How can you norm not? <laughs> what's the, of social what's the Yeah, we lost right around the 1970s. And I want to restore those social norms and bring us back to an American culture that we had before. And I mainly want to do that to protect children and to give children the opportunity to grow up in a country where the people in the country have a shared culture and a shared story about their origins and about have the same attitudes and beliefs towards their laws so that they can cooperate together. You know, as an economics professor, you know this, you know, having, it's not, if you want a stable system of contracts, you have to have a whole set of customary norms and laws yes. around that to support it. It doesn't appear out of nowhere. You know, there's no accident that contracting in America doesn't look like anything like contracting in Ghana where I have some experience. Right. right? The contracts are not done the same way there because they have a completely different customary mechanism around what, op, what obligations are to people, how things are enforced. They have different notions about what's fair and all sorts of things. And, and so, yes, I want to restore all that. And I, I'm, I'm per, absolutely perfectly fine with public morality laws, public obscenity laws. I don't want any of this stuff, uh, you know, uh, delivered to children. I don't want children to see Uh, same-sex couples holding hands, walking down the street. I don't want them to be exposed to any of that. I don't want them to be exposed to pornography in the schools. I don't want to be exposed to pornography anywhere. Isn't isn't that crazy how that's a controversial statement? Very simple. I want the public space to be safe for children and families. Yeah, yeah. made for children and families.
0: I like what you said the other day about go back to what was working, see what was working before, go back there and re-implement it in the schools, in the government, yeah, In all the problem. yeah absolutely. Um, I want to like switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk, Nate, about the human trafficking issue. I know that's a big yeah. one for you and how that ties into border security, which I know is something that you're both uh, passionate about. And, I mean, shoot, all yeah. of us, Democrat, Republican, we yeah. should all be passionate about yeah, that. Yeah, we should too.
2: all be passionate about it. It's a national security threat. You know, looking at it, um, so i I. I'm operations director for the justice reform uh which um you know we don't just deal with anti-human trafficking but that is one of our main focuses we're building the first 100 bed facility uh for women who have been rescued uh for um uh, from sex trafficking and uh and what we're probably going to be dealing a lot with is adults and and some minors as well you know we estimate 300,000 uh women and children are victims of human trafficking right now in the state of texas making us number one in america Um, It's a huge issue, but let's, I mean, the reality is this, is that um, much of it starts at the border um, and it's, they're actually equally represented at the border as in our public education system. It's shocking how the two tie together. Because uh, you know, some people have told me, "Well, what it's pr- you've you've talked about how this is happening locally. What's happening locally, and it's also happening internationally. This is ha- this is a major issue because uh, sexual grooming is becoming a massive new industry, uh, making up literally billions and billions of dollars. And so here we are. And I shouldn't say new industry; it's a, it's a very old industry, but it's just it's finally being exposed. So now we're talking about." you know, this southern border. And a lot of people think, well, Nate, come on, like there can't be that many young ladies being taken across the border. The reality is, A, there are, but B, one of the b- even bigger issues is our drug trafficking issue. The drug trafficking is is killing more people than human trafficking is coming across our southern border. And this is why it's a huge deal, is this uh, this fentanyl crisis that we see coming up um, is, is not just <laughs> affecting it's not just affecting, you know, the, the average person that you would see, homeless person living on the side of the road that, you know, you're like, oh, OK, they got into drugs. They made bad decisions as a teenager. This fentanyl crisis is affecting normal kids that are going to a party, making one mistake and dying instantly. These are issues that are huge. This is, you know, the, it's, it's not a small issue. And so we see these drugs coming across the southern border and they're not being checked properly. The reality is this, is that the Biden administration has so tied the hands of the federal government and much of our border security, um, and we don't have leaders in the Texas state legislature that are having a backbone to simply say, forget what the federal government wants. We're the state of Texas. It's time to take charge. I don't care what the the president says. We have power of states right here to step in and say, our officers are going to do A, B, and C. We are not going to ship them over into other areas of the country. We're not going to give them a free flight. Uh, we're not going to focus on vaccinating illegal immigrants. Get the, Push them back into their nation, it's not a race issue, it's a trafficking issue. The reality is, how are we ever going to have a safe and secure nation if we're so focused on taking care of other nations that we don't take care of our own? And that's a controversial statement to many. But the reality is a lot of our taxpayer dollars are going to illegal subsidies for illegal immigrants. You know, it's going over to things and we can't even pay for our own education system. And this is this is one of those things that it's I'm incredibly passionate about. And there's a lot of things we can do, uh, starting right there with ending, uh, you know, illegal taxpayer subsidies um, to, uh, to, to aliens as they come in. The other thing is, we've got to take charge as a nation, uh, or excuse me, as a state, we've got to make sure that our law enforcement officers know that they are fully, fully backed to be able to make the decisions on the border that our president isn't going to back them. But they've got to know that our governor, they've got to know that they've got state legislators that are willing to get behind them so that they're not indicted. For random things, like we're seeing in Austin with these 19 officers right now, it's an atrocity that these 19 officers for simply keeping the peace inside of Travis County are now being indicted because all of a sudden they chose to take charge and do their job. I think that's the main issue is we have created, excuse me, the left has created a culture where people are just terrified to actually take a stand when it's necessary.
1: Right. You know, there's there's a concept that Dick Francis, old writer for National Review, Uh, used to write about he coined this term anarcho tyranny and it was a tactic that was used by the stalinists and basically what they did was they let the criminals know that they weren't going to enforce the law against them but then they strictly enforced the law against everybody who defends themselves against the criminals and that's how he destroyed the peasant farmer class in the soviet union and was able to starve them out um, he just let the criminals run rampant. That's what's happening in Austin, right? That's what's happening in all these Antifa-controlled areas. But let's talk about this human trafficking, because you're right, it doesn't get enough talk. Um, you know, my fiance works works for a major airline. She's trained um, uh, as part of the, the, the uh, federal program to spot child trafficking on airlines. And she's been through these federal trainings. And there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions. The most trafficked individuals are boys, not women. Yep. And they're mostly trafficked by women. It's so sad. Yeah. And so we talk about women being trafficked, but the problem is boys being trafficked. That's the biggest problem. And because nobody talks about this, nobody looks for scared boys with, with mothers that are clearly, that with women who are clearly not their moms. Yeah. And so my, my fiance is trained to spot this and has found three so far. Okay. Wow. Yep. That's so this is first, that's the first thing. The second thing is what's actually happening at the border. I think when we talk about humans coming in, not drugs, but humans, um, I've talked to uh, state border patrol. I've talked to DPS, um, and I've been down the border and looked at this. Here's what's actually happening. They are not sneaking across the Rio Grande border. People think have this image that they're sneaking across the border and coming into the desert or something. That's not what's happening they're going through legal points of entry. They're crossing through and talking to US border agents. Now what the federal government has done is they've built detention facilities near each of these ports of entry and they have all the same exact architectural plan and they hold exactly 2000 people. So what the traffickers do is they'll send people through the legal point of entry and have 2000 people claim asylum. Now the facility is full. When the 2001st person goes through, they're given a per piece of paper, which is a personal recognizance release, which allows them into the country and they're ordered to report back to a federal court, usually within a year. Of course, they never do that. No. <laughs> right? So, what they're doing is intentionally overwhelming the detention, federal detention centers, so that people can be released on their own personal recognizance. Now, those 2000 people that go into that detention facility, the next, within the next 48 hours, will be released back into Mexico. Right, most of them don't have valid asylum claims, they go to the front of the line to go in after the 2000 the next day. So, people earn their way in by spending time in the detention facility and then rotating back out to be in the front of the line to be the two thousand and first and first person who gets released on personal crime. They're gaming the federal law, it's crazy. Yes, so what I have proposed is that we arrest them on state offenses immediately upon issuance of that of that personal reconnaissance bond they walk out of that federal facility on the border DPS should immediately arrest them on state offenses then we should have a, we should actually create courts <laughs> on the border convict them put them into tent prisons and have them build the wall if you want early release and you want to go back to Guatemala or go back to the country where you're from help us build the wall for a year and we'll send you back <laughs> okay love it and I didn't. This is not something I made up. I, this is exactly how Mexico built all of their southern infrastructure. Yeah, they built all that southern infrastructure on work gangs from Guatemala who are entering their for people who are entering their country illegally from Guatemala. Yeah, there's no reason we can't do that, and that's perfectly legal all already within state law. But the U.S. Constitution also authorizes us to declare this an actual invasion. Yeah, Arizona's already done that, by the way. Yep. If we declared an actual invasion, we're authorized to use any force. By the way, if we declared an actual invasion, we can even levy our own tariff in this state on Mexican goods that go to the state government to finance the war effort to stop the invasion. Yeah. And I think we should do that. Now, we have a plenary executive in the state of Texas. A lot of people think the governor has powers that he doesn't have. He's not like the governor in, in Florida. Our governor's office in Texas is split up into 14 different offices, and that was done intentionally to weaken the executive in the state, Mm. so they have to cooperate. The people that have to cooperate are the, the Texas Secretary of State, the Texas governor, and the legislature, right? And if those three can cooperate, we can end this border invasion tomorrow.
0: So on the legis, you mentioned legislature, I want to talk real quick and then we'll wrap up about the legislative priorities of the Republican Party where we usually get thrown a bone but we don't get everything that we work so hard to put as our party platform and then we choose candidates who say they represent that platform Mm -hmm. and then they go to Austin, and then nothing happens. let's talk real quick about that. And then I want to let people know how they can support you because we definitely need strong conservative leadership in our Texas house. We need to take our our state back and
1: then our country back because where we're heading is not good. Right. So. Okay, so um, look, here's why nothing happens. it's this thing I talked about earlier about the disconnect between the donor class and the voters. So here's the game that gets played by establishment legislators. They will introduce extremely conservative legislation. Let's say we tried for 21 years to get constitutional carry. We finally got it last session, right? So let's go back to those heady days when we were introducing constitutional carry every two years for 22 years, right? So we somebody introduced say constitutional care or and now now we're trying to get rid of the suppressor ban that's the big move you know in Texas right now because you know why should we why should our hearing be damaged why can't we use suppressors at shooting range it doesn't make sense so we want to get rid of the suppressor ban we they'll introduce a bill to do that and that makes you happy you think they're so conservative and they're so pro gun that's a wonderful bill that they introduced and they're going to fight for it cuz it's their own bill right well, then what happens is it goes to committee and they arrange for the head of the committee to kill the bill. They kill their own bills. Yeah. And if you look at the calendar committee, which is run by a horrible man named Dustin Burroughs. That's the worst of, one. The calendar committee. Yeah. All good conservative legislation goes to die <clears> in the calendar committee. OK, do you know the calendar committee? Let me tell you what I had to do with the calendar committees. First time in Texas history it's ever been done. So At the end of every day's legislative session, the speaker will turn off the mics so it can't be heard on video and will announce the location, the room number, where the calendar committee is going to meet for that day. Okay. So I had to put people up there with directional mics to amplify it and find out where the room was. And we put 50 people and cameras in the room. That had never happened in Texas history before. Wow. Wow. And when you should have seen them, they, they were literally shaking. They were. They, Dustin Burroughs was like like literally shaking. Didn't, I mean, we had so many people in that room. And the question they all asked was the same question. Why aren't you calendaring the bill to ban uh, transgender surgeries on kids? Why aren't you calendaring that bill? And they had never seen that before. Yeah. Caught Stephanie Click red-handed delaying the bill before it got to the calendar committee. Okay. So I went after Stephanie Click this session. And I use a lot of political power against her, not as much as I could have. But I'll tell you this, if I get to that legislature and Dustin Burroughs kills my conservative legislation, I will send a thousand people into his district every week until he is out of office. Yeah, I will go into districts of liberal conservative, supposed liberal uh, Republicans, and I will inform their voters about what they're actually doing about this chicanery. They've been using this underhanded procedure in the legislature to to look conservative to you, but then kill the bill so they get the big donor money. The donors are grateful that they killed the bills, so they can play both sides. I'm not going to let them do that. Anymore.
0: Nate, biggest contrast between you and your opponent.
2: Yeah, it's great. Uh, biggest contrast between me and my opponent is I'm not a liar. Uh, and so uh, I uh, is true I, I live in our district that's that's one of the big ones. Uh, the second one is um, at the end of the day you know my opponent likes to talk about, know the stances she's taken the reality is is she bent the knee to the left woke mob and I just refuse to do that and so uh, when you elect me as a state representative for district 93 you're electing someone that is not going in there uh, just to go along and get along I'm going in to bring change I'm going in to make sure that we actually have a representative who's going to stand up for the issues that matter most to our district which is our education system our border our property tax issues that we've got going on right now and our our liberties Uh, you know we didn't get to talk about it but talking about our medical freedoms it's a big deal you know we should never ever tell someone they're going to lose their retirement they're going to lose their job just because they won't take an experimental vaccine if you want to take a vaccine that's fantastic we live in the us of a you can do whatever you want but at the end of the day we better make sure that the government is never mandating medicine. It's a big deal. And so those are the big things for me. Um, I'm gonna have a backbone. I think that's uh that's probably the biggest difference between me and my opponent. Uh and I look forward to representing you guys in District 93. Um and uh Jeff, I look forward to doing it alongside you. Thank you.
0: We have election May 31st. Um, early voting is a little before that. Nate, how can people find you to donate? May 24th.
2: May 24th. May 24th. Oh, May 24th I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no worries. Uh, they can uh, go to uh, anywhere on social media, Nate for Texas, um, and or Nate Shatzline for Texas, and then my website is natefortexas.com.
0: Jeff, biggest um, difference between you and your opponent?
1: Um, my opponent thinks he can buy an election, and uh, he's, you know he spent uh, at least one hundred fifty thousand dollars just in the primary. Um, he went in front of my S- this is really funny. He went in front of my uh, SD convention and said he was the only grassroots candidate in the race. And then a few days later was endorsed by Abbott and Phelan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He thinks he can manufacture an identity. He voted for shutdowns in Flower Mound. Uh, We have him on video from city council saying that we should shut our city parks to children because children who are locked in their homes are gonna go stir crazy and they might wanna go outside during the COVID epidemic. And we can't allow that. And me and my boys were actually thrown out of a park by the police because he did that. Wow. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's funded by a group that actually opposed religious exemptions to the vaccine ban. Wow. Um, and he actually voted to raise taxes on struggling families during the COVID epidemic. So what we have here is a classic establishment versus grassroots uh, situation. I'm for liberty, freedom, and he's, uh, he's for the big donor class. And that's the biggest difference between us. How can people find you to donate? So,
0: best candidate, need money. Jeff
1: Jeff Younger for Texas.com. And um, there's a donate button there. But more importantly, uh, there's an issues page. And one of the things you'll find on my website that I think is a lot different than many other candidates, I don't just give conceptual agreement with issues. When you go and look at my issues page, you're going to see detailed legislative plans. About two thirds of that now, actually, I actually have bills drafted. Um, about half of those bills have actually already been vetted by Capitol Hill lawyers. So I'm ready to introduce legislation the day I get there. I have already written bills, I've introduced bills, I've developed parliamentary strategy for bills for representatives and senators. I have a lot of experience doing this. So check out that issues page, even more than the donate page. Dare I say it?
0: Dare you say it? But guys, seriously, these guys need money. Money is what it takes to send mailers. Money is what it takes to educate nope. voters. Please, anything helps 20 bucks 15 bucks 100 bucks 1000 bucks, whatever you can do. Um, thank you guys for being on. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Anytime you want to come back, you're welcome. Let me All know right. and I'll reach out to you as well. I'm looking forward to celebrating a
1: victory for the both of you. Thank come you. On. Very thank you. Much Thanks, Kenya. I want to wish you good luck. And I think if we can get 10 good solid conservatives and we can take over that caucus. I'm Thank with
2: you. Me. I'm with you, Jeff. You you, you, as well. I look forward to working okay. with you in Austin in January. Let's do it.
1: Let's do it.
0: Thanks for listening. Please leave a rating wherever you download podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a future episode of the Defending Freedom podcast.